views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 580 WCHS, its employees, or WVRC Media. Put the power of Peyton on your side. We have the courtroom experience that you need. We never give up. We're prepared to fight for your rights. When you need action, count on us. Put the power of Peyton on your side. The power of Peyton. And it's a Thursday morning, and it is 580 WCHS, the voice of Charleston. And Jeff Jenkins here with Tom Payton of the Payton Law Firm in Nitro. Trying to get myself to hear myself correctly. You hear yourself okay, Tom? Uh, I don't. When I talk, I can hear myself. I hear you fine. Perfect. And I hear me fine. There we go. All right. As long as everybody else can hear us fine. (laughs) I think they can. I think they can. All right. Lines are open. 304-345-5858-304-345-5858. It's 821. It's Thursday morning. Tom is here. Any questions about... The law that you uh, need answer, Tom, is here. Your dad enjoying, I guess, enjoying Kansas City a little more with the Mountaineer win last Yeah, I haven't heard from him. I texted him <laughs> something about what's going on down there and I never heard back. So maybe he's just in the midst of a uh, grand celebration. But, uh, yeah, he had, he's headed down to the Big 12 tournament for uh, four or five years now, I think, yeah. each time. He likes Kansas City. And so uh, he and his wife, Jennifer, went down. Nice win last night. I missed the second half. I was playing my own adult soccer game uh but uh yeah it's always uh good to come in after a mountaineer win but uh he's he's staying hopefully he'll be there the whole tournament we'll see what happens i guess they play kansas today at three o'clock so Mm -hmm. tough game but you know kansas beat us twice last time was the game where we were down by two at the very end and joe toussaint was kind of just dribbled it out i think he got a little anxious there at the end yeah, we didn't really have a yeah, good good yeah. good final play didn't even get a shot off so we'll see tough to beat a team three three times in the same season so maybe it's w's time to uh time to shine against kansas today so we'll uh we'll see how that goes although i got you know they're going to make the ncaa tournament obviously and they'll have a, a better seed if they can beat kansas they should be okay maybe 10 or 11 right now maybe nine right and um so do you really want to go and play three more games you know back to back to back days and then be worn out for the NCAA tournament I guess you want to keep winning as long as you can but we got an early call well uh, great Jennifer's on the line Jennifer go ahead you're on with Tom Payton good morning hi Tom good morning Um, I have a question that is probably a rerun I remember a couple of years ago um, somebody called in and asked asked Carby this question and it has to do with how people are stealing deeds and then getting loans under your name. I don't understand how that works. I do recall that Harvey said in West Virginia that's not possible. Can you explain why that's not possible here and it happens in other places? Okay, so did you hear I, that? Okay. Not very well. Okay, so I can hear it like not through my headphones. Okay, or all right, I need to figure this out. Okay, so but stealing deeds and then getting loans in someone else's name. Yeah, I don't. 
So I guess it happens other places, but he's. You're, you're, I think. Yeah, I don't know right. about that. The uh, there's been there has been there have been problems where folks go to closings, and you got to be real careful now because somebody will learn that the closing's coming up for a loan or a purchase, a fraudster, and then they'll uh, impersonate someone, get the lawyer to wire the money to wherever you're supposed to wire it for a loan payoff or to the they'll impersonate the per, the seller mm-hmm. and then next thing you know you show up to closing and it's like well the money's already been distributed or something but i i don't you just have to double check that now if you're doing wiring but i don't i don't know about i was trying to think how you now i've had people you know deeds are recorded and and they only record originals for the most part uh Actually, now there's there is a way to. There are companies that are um, in certain counties. Putnam's one of them, where we don't have to go to the courthouse to record originals anymore. We can scan them in, submit them to this company. They've been qualified by the county clerk's office to file electronically, um, but there are fraud protections there because the company that's qualified to do that has been vetted, I assume, in, in some form. So just not anybody can submit it. But, you know, deeds are like any other document. We've, we had one one time at our office where uh, a state trooper came in and, and said, hey, take a look at this deed. Well, it had Melody, my uh, front office staff, bookkeeper's uh, notary on there, had notarized somebody's signature. And it was a deed, and we looked – in our computer, it was like, well, we didn't do that deed. I mean, we didn't draft that deed. Maybe we had drafted one on that property, but it wasn't the same person as the grantor. And I think what happened in that case, you know, they had gotten – anybody can get a copy of deeds. They're, they're public record over in the record room once they're recorded. Somebody had gotten that deed, I think a family member uh, that wanted the property or something. It wasn't – it wasn't uh, – it was a fraudster that was – you know, uh, it wasn't some commercial mm-hmm. professional. It was some family member that wanted the property. Well, they had apparently gotten that deed, and it was pretty rudimentary because they got caught. I mean, they didn't do any fancy scanning, and you know, nowadays you can scan anything in and basically modify it with with the graphics program. But they'd done one of these cut and paste things on a copier, and then uh, what they did was, uh, you know, signed someone else's name as the grantor the Mm. seller you can think of this was probably a gift and then superimposed that original signature over maybe an old deed we drafted with a different person's name and then used melody's uh notary uh the old notary it wasn't a new stamp uh to make it look legitimate then recorded it of course then somebody went and figured it out later because it's public record and then i think the the state troopers were coming to office say hey did you is this legit? Did you notarize this? Because somebody was saying they didn't sign it. And um, I got a person ended up getting charged criminally through Kanawha County uh, Circuit Court with a felony and entered, entered a plea for fraud, I think. But I, I guess I'm not real familiar with uh, what Jennifer was referencing yeah. there, so I'm not Thanks, sure. Jennifer. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know if there's any safeguards here that are different than anywhere else. I think mm-hmm. you know, now until this year. Uh, or not this year, maybe 2022. I don't think you could elect. You can see records on online, but you couldn't file. Uh, you couldn't file file them online. You had to go in person and and record them, which is a safeguard. But now you can record them electronically only in certain select county. Like Kanawha County doesn't permit it. Um, but 
there, there's only authorized vent. You can't just fax it into the clerk, for example. Right. You have to go through an authorized vendor. They vet it somehow, and then it gets into the county clerk system and is recorded that way. Um, but yeah, unless I had more specific scenario, I guess well, I really can't and, right. and comment I can't exactly on what Dad was talking about. Right. Okay, Jennifer. Thanks a lot. Three zero four three four five fifty eight fifty eight. 304-345-5858. Any questions about the law? Tom is here. We're down now inside three days to the end of the legislative session. So I know a bill that uh, uh, attorneys are watching, and it's it's passed the House. Now it's on second reading in the Senate is the deliberate intent bill. Yeah, right. so I saw that. There was a little blip in the paper yesterday or in the news about that yesterday. I guess it's still moving a little bit. Yeah. So that's the deliberate, you know, deliberate intent is, yeah. Right. So I saw that. There was a little blip in the paper yesterday or in the news about that yesterday. I guess it's still moving a little bit. Yeah. So that's the deliberate, you know, deliberate intent is is kind of a what has been labeled uh, because it started off being labeled. This type of case was labeled that way. Uh, based on a case from I think around 1980, mandolitis, and um, so that you know if you get hurt at work, as long as it was in the course and scope of your employment, so it doesn't matter whether it's negligence on your employer's part, it doesn't matter if it's negligence on your own part doing your job. If you get hurt as a result of your work, then you get workers' compensation, which is you know it's a tough you know it doesn't fully compensate you for being off work and it doesn't fully compensate you for any uh permanent disability i mean it's not complete wage replacement i guess is what i'm saying and it does pay 100 percent of your medical bills you shouldn't have co-pays or anything like that as long as as long as your treatment is related to Mm -hmm. the workplace injury and sometimes you get you know back problems and things that are there's some gray areas there because most people over the age of 40 are going to have what they call degenerative changes in their spine, which are age-related. Now, they may be conditions of their spine they never knew existed and never caused them symptoms until they felt a, a pull or something while they were lifting something at work. But generally, that's the exclusive remedy if you get hurt at work. You have to go through workers' comp. And even though your employer has a duty to provide you a you know, safe place to work, you can't sue them for damages like you could if you were in an automobile accident or something like that. Now, you there is a very narrow avenue to get damages beyond what you get from your workers' compensation benefit, and those cases have been labeled as deliberate intent cases. They're already extremely difficult to prosecute. You have to have a a certain percentage of permanent disability granted through the workers' compensation system. Uh, you have to have an expert, uh, what they call a certificate of merit, showing that there's some merit here. And then there's basically two ways. Uh, if the if the employer has workers' compensation immunity, you know, if an employer like a boss comes just punches you or something, then it's intentional. Then that's that's a you have a case mm-hmm. because that's obvious. Now. The, the more controversial or I guess the issue is you can there's also a scenario or a, a set of factors you can prove and that's where the deliberate intent comes into play it doesn't mean it's not like the employer has to specifically intend to hurt you but if they know of a dangerous if you can prove they had actual knowledge the employer management uh, of a dangerous working condition that was in violation of you know, accepted uh, safety standards in the industry, 
exposed an employee to that, and as a result of that, uh, safety, unsafe condition, the employee was hurt. If you can jump through all these other hoops, then you have a lawsuit where you can get potentially get damages in excess of what you're getting from workers' comp. So they're very limited. And you might remember last year, I think it was last year, the year before, uh, uh, former Supreme Court Justice Evan Jenkins resigned from the court yes, and almost true. immediately began yeah, what I call true. lobbying. He said lawyering for the timber industry to push this bill. Right. And now it's going through again. So the bill is meant to put caps on non-economic damages. Oh, we got another call? Yeah, we got a call. Randy, Wait. you're on the air with Tom. Randy, go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I want you to know I really enjoy your show. I look forward to Thursday mornings every week. Oh, he really, Thanks. Yeah, it's good. Appreciate uh, it. We'll take I that really, compliment. I, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, I'm 75 years old, and I like to I like to ensure I only have one son and a granddaughter, and I'd like to ensure that my son gets my house. Uh, is there some way that I can, like, but I don't want I don't want to give it to him right now in case something happens in his life. I wouldn't want to lose my house. You understand? Yes, sir. Yeah, actually, there's a really good mechanism now. We've talked about it quite a bit. You know, in the 2015, maybe 2016 legislative session, they passed something called a transfer on death deed option. And so I think what Randy's referencing, he might you might hear about dower or something like that, which isn't really appropriate. But what we used to do sometimes is folks – would reserve the parents in this scenario or grandparent would reserve a life estate to themselves and then convey the property to their son or grandson. So that preserves the parents' right to live there, but it also gives up some vested ownership interest in it. So that if Randy wanted did a life estate reservation, he can't sell the property. He can't borrow against the property. Uh, he can't modify who gets it when he passes away if he changes his mind about who he wants to have it. Um, so it was set in stone. Now, with the transfer on death deed option you have now, it's really good because, um, you know, Randy in this scenario would sign a deed. Uh, we would record the deed. It's recorded where all their deeds are. But the deed expressly states, and it's proper under the statute, that it doesn't convey any present interest to anyone else. So he retains full and complete ownership property taxes stay in his name so he probably gets the homestead exemption i'm sure if it's his home since he's old enough uh he maintains really nothing would change for randy he would continue to be the owner he can borrow against it he can sell it he doesn't have to ask any of his children or grandchildren for permission even though they're on the deed he can also record another transfer on death deed thereafter and change who gets it when he passes away without any input or knowledge from the person he designated on the previous transfer on death deed. So that's a really good tool. It, it was in place in a way that's a, that's kind of convenience items and it takes it outside probate. I think it was implemented to, to kind of help with preserve a home. If you need to go in a nursing home and there's a potential that the government could put a lien on your home after you pass away for care paid for by the government government for long-term care through the Medicaid program and this takes the home outside of probate. So generally, there isn't an opportunity to, for creditors to file claims against your home because the moment you pass away, whoever you've named on that deed that had been previously recorded owns it. Yeah. And so that's, I think, yeah, Rand, if you want to get something like that done, our office does them pretty regularly. We probably do 
at least one a week maybe, and we just need to get a copy of the source deed, the deed where you got it, so we can use it for the new legal description. You drop that off. If we need additional information, we give you a call, and usually we get it drafted within uh, 10 business days or so, and then come back in, right. and, and uh, so then we can I live in Ronnie County. So that's a really good tool. And then, you know, if you name a son, and then, you know, if something happens and you don't want him to get it anymore, you just record a, a new transfer on death deed, and you can name someone else and you don't and the most important thing i think uh because you get what i found in the past where you had these these people get tunnel vision i've had multiple cases well you got to do this or the government will take your house or you got to do this to make sure you can get on nursing home and so that parents would deed their property away to their kids or deed it away and reserve a life estate or make their kids joint owners well all those things create problems if your child has problems and has creditors, for example. Now you got liens against the place you're trying to live. Or I had one just nightmare case where the daughter was made some kind of joint owner. Um, oh, then she got in a car wreck. Then she became a quadriplegic. Then she oh, had wow. to file bankruptcy. Well, this property where her mother had lived and wanted to keep living was at least partially owned by the daughter who now was going to have creditors after her and after her interest in it. So this transfer on death deed option uh, removes all those risks, and it's a really good, convenient tool to get property transferred. Now, you can't do real complicated things with it. You can name multiple beneficiaries if you want. You can even name a primary and a contingent. So if your person you nominated first in the deed passes away, before you, it can fall back to whoever you've named as the backup. Uh, and if you want to do anything more complicated than that, then you just you need to do a will that addresses that particular well, piece I, of property. I, 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 then you can do just about what you want, but it doesn't have any effect until you pass away, and then it would go through uh, the probate process. All right, Randy, good call. We appreciate it. Right, We're going to take our one and only right. break. Tom Payton here with the Payton Law Firm in Nitro. Number to call. Like Randy has, like Jennifer did earlier, 304-345-5858-304-345-5858-304-345-5858. Back in a moment on 580 WCHS. Low prices are busting out all over at Rural King. Clean up on the Libman Tornado Mop when you combine our $10 price buster discount with a $15 mail-in rebate for a final price of just $14.99. And save $2 on Nutrina All-Flock Poultry Feed. Now just $17.99 a bag. Finally, keep those motors revving with your choice of Superfuel Premix for just $4.99 a can. Enjoy these price busters and more at RuralKing.com or your neighborhood Rural King, America's farm and home store. Capital Insurance Group wants to change the way you think about your insurance. Gone are the days of using one insurance carrier to fix all of your needs. It's time to work with an independent agent that works with multiple carriers like Nationwide, Progressive, Allstate, Liberty Mutual, and many more. Capital Insurance Group works for you, not the insurance carrier. They'll help you save over $750 per year on average. So what are you waiting for? Change is good. So switch to Capital Insurance Group and save big. More info at CIGWV.com. Hey, babe, how about this finish for the living room floor? Looks great, honey. Please tell me we're not going to DIY. Huh? Do it yourself. What? You don't think I can tear up the floor carefully, measure perfectly, cut carpet to the exact fit, restore hardwood, not leave our living room floorless for months and not damage anything? No. (laughs) No worries. They install, too. Oh, thank God. Nitro Carpet Outlet will help you every step of the way. Professional on-site measurement, removal of old flooring, and skilled installation. Visit nitrocarpet.com or stop by our showroom just off the interstate at New Goff Mountain Road in Cross Lanes. With the power of Peyton on your side, we have 
have the courtroom experience that you need. We never give up. We're prepared to fight for your rights. When you need action, count on us. Put the power of Peyton on your side. The power of Peyton. It's 841 and this is 580 WCHS, the voice of Charleston. Jeff Jenkins with Tom Payton of the Payton Law Firm in Nitro. 304-345-5858. 304-345-5858. Tom's with us. 304-345-5858. So we're talking about deliberate intent before Randy called. And so... Uh, yeah, so what yeah. the bill's going to do, it's going to um, you know cap non-economic damages. So I think it was $500,000. Right. And I was a little, little confused, too. I think maybe it also might be or double what your economic damages are. So if you have some lost wages or future medical expenses, maybe whichever one's higher, double that amount or five hundred grand would be the cap. So, you know, we've already got caps in medical malpractice. Mm-hmm. So generally when you have those cases, the jury doesn't know there's a cap. And so you see some big awards uh, that make the media on like medical malpractice, but you know, the lawyers know that in, in the end it's going to be reduced back down to some other number. Um, you know, it's a pretty – I mean, you don't have to have insurance to cover deliberate intents. A lot of a lot of – I think pretty much every workers' compensation, you know, insurance carrier offers that type of 360 coverage where they cover those type claims as well, and I think the premiums are really not – that's significant. Maybe they are in the timber industry. Maybe that's why there's such a hard push, mm-hmm. you know, because it's obviously there's I – I think I saw some reference to like, well, they know it's – might have been Dr. Tukubo or something. Tukubo. Yeah, I mean, that Sarah was Tukubo. like, well, they know it's a risky industry. It's like, well, that's, that's not really – yeah, and the employers do too. And when they expo- – you know, it's not that you – you know, make somebody work or somebody is required to work in a dangerous industry, but when there are safety standards that are established mm-hmm. and you uh, are violating them and you know you're violating them and you still put your employees in that situation, then, you know, that's not the, the employee's fault. They don't assume, the, assume risk of just going to do their work that their employer will expose them to known safety violations. I mean, that's... So I don't think saying that, you know, well, certain jobs are just risky, so you go in knowing you might die that day or, or be – I mean, you do know that in a way on certain industries. But at the same time, I think as an employee, you should be entitled to assume your employer will meet not not novel safety standards that are put out by some ultra-safe expert, but regularly accepted safety standards. I mean, an employee should be able to, to rely on the fact even in a – industry that inherently has risks that your employer will comply with what is well-established law as far as safety goes so um we'll see we won't have a lot i mean we don't have a whole lot of deliberate tent cases that are really affect us won't much one way or another and what are non-economic describe so non-economic damages are general damages most mm-hmm. people think of in the, in the pain and suffering mm-hmm. uh disfigurement emotional distress those type damages and in west virginia as the law stands right now so if you there's no way to really quantify that and that's where you get into i mean that's one of the reasons cases settle because you put your case before six people on a jury and and they're given a 
very uh, narrow, like you may award pain and suffering or, or emotional distress arising from the injury, and then those six people go back in a room and decide. And you, in West Virginia, as the law stands right now, the lawyer can't even ask for a certain – some states you can, but in West Virginia you can't say, and we want $500,000 for pain and suffering. You just – you present your evidence and then you, you – you know, for example, in closing argument, you talk about what your client has gone through and what they will go through, and then the jury goes back and decides how much. You can't even suggest an amount to them uh, in West Virginia, and that's based on some case law. So – um, those are those are non-economic damages, which in some cases can be the most substantial. Hmm. Uh, but that's how cases settle a lot, because you know you can imagine an insurance carrier who's, you know, they they make their decisions based on risk. Well, oh, this person's hurt really bad. I mean, they've got a, they've got chronic pain and uh, can't work, and so you know the jury might give them a million dollars in uh, general damages. So we might want to resolve this thing. Well, now those cases will be harder to resolve if this law passes because. An insurance carrier in the same situation will not have that risk. You know, you're, you're, it's only going to be five hundred thousand. That's right. It's right? going to be caps. Like, well, let's just pay our lawyers a hundred grand, and they've only got economic damages of a hundred grand, even though it's a really bad permanent injury. It's just not the type that you know needed a lot of medical care because they can't do much for it, and it's an older worker, so they don't have a lot of lost wages. So we'll just roll the dice, and we'll make the plaintiff incur significant cost to prosecute it because that comes out of what the injured person will get in the end if they win and so we'll just hold their feet to the fire and uh anyway it just shifts the power to those Mm -hmm. that have the most wealth and resources i mean that's all it all it really does in the end and uh and we'll limit some recoveries there'll there'll be some recoveries uh that are reduced because of the caps and um but that's you know that's the that's the that's the really the underlying issue with caps is that it, it, it removes risk for insurance carriers, which they like. But strategically, it also changes the game in litigation because um, the 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 injured person, you know, their bottom line, they could get zero, or they can uh, win but incur a lot of costs. And the bottom line for when there's no caps are as long as it's not outrageous that you don't know what a jury is going to award for pain and suffering if somebody's hurt really bad i mean it depends on how those six people view it could be significant so to avoid that risk it's going to be a really high amount cases resolve so now you remove that risk factor from one side of the equation but not the other and so it just makes it much more difficult to resolve cases 304-345-5858-304 Three four five fifty eight fifty eight. Tom Payton with the Payton Law Firm in Nitro. Don't know if you've seen this, but uh, one of your alma maters, Marshall University, they're going to host the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, March twenty second. Nice. They're going to hear some cases on the Great. Marshall campus. Good. Yeah, I went through. You know, that's that is my alma mater from my undergrad. Yeah. I went through the um, after deciding to change careers from biology to law, switched over to criminal justice, and, and then back then at least they had it kind of criminal justice degree was split it was you could either go on the kind of law enforcement track which was folks wanting to be fbi state police working corrections and then there was kind of the legal studies track which is what i did which involved some work you had some classes in the community college on campus and Mm -hmm. so you had adjunct professors lawyers judges that would come in it was a a pretty good degree if you're going to go to law school because it gives you a little 
head start because your underlying degree when you go to law school doesn't need to have anything to do with with the law um um but you know there's always the there's no law school at, at marshall and i always thought they ought to do some kind of nowadays they should do some kind of remote uh teaching and, and try and get some kind of uh way to get a degree without having to move all the way to morgantown if you want to stay in the state but uh yeah i don't know how you know who pushed that maybe it's through the criminal justice department but that's uh really good to be interested to go down and watch mm-hmm. um i don't know if i'll be available on march 22nd but uh yeah, yeah. if anybody's around it'd be good for the students to see and uh, yeah it's open i mean you have to kind of uh, i think maybe you have to reserve that they say space is kind of limited the right. court, court has rules obviously mm-hmm. but there is going to be i mean the public is going to be able to yeah i've never argued before the fourth circuit i've had some cases up there that end up getting resolved or we didn't get Oral argument. I've argued before the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, which mm-hmm. is the equivalent, but that covers Ohio. I had mm-hmm. an Ohio case I needed to appeal, and yeah, they have. You know, it's at least in the Sixth Circuit, they would have. You know, they actually have a red light and a green light. So when it turns red, you stop talking, and when it's green, you're allowed to go. So it keeps lawyers from getting. Uh, Lawyers like to talk a lot. So, uh, <laughs> so the Fourth Circuit is just for folks who don't know. I mean, that is the step. If you on the federal track, that would be the step right. between U.S. District Court here and the U.S. Supreme Court. That's right. Yeah. So if you have a federal case in district court, uh, in the federal district court, which is limited jurisdiction, so there's only you know most people when they get in civil actions here are filing them in circuit court, uh, state court, and if you have all folks from different states battling, so somebody's from West Virginia and somebody's from indiana or something then you have what's called diversity jurisdiction you can go to federal court or if the underlying issue involves what they call a federal question meaning is federal law at issue then those get filed in u.s district court a lot of times but yeah and then in the fourth circuit covers multiple states so it's mm-hmm. virginia west virginia i think oh tennessee maybe maybe yeah. uh, well i think it's south carolina north carolina okay, maybe okay, okay. too so all those appeals go up to the fourth circuit um, and then, then they're heard there. So it's pretty high level. And right, the only thing above that is the U.S. Supreme Court. So, yeah, it's nice to have them come here. Yeah. Uh, be good for the students to, to learn and watch that process go through. Yeah. 304-345-5858. It's 851. 304-345-5858. Tom Payton is with us. Payton Law from Nitro. What is your, you know, kind of one of those trials that captivated uh, the U.S. is the Murdoch trial? Yeah, that's just a bizarre. I thought he was going to be found guilty because they didn't have any real direct evidence, I guess, although you don't a lot of times. And there's nothing wrong with circumstantial evidence. In fact, most jury instructions say it can be just as convincing as direct mm-hmm. evidence. Uh, but, I, you know, I kind of kept up with it loosely because it's just such a bizarre tale. And, um, but I, what I saw is it, what I saw of it from a global level was this guy's uh, basically saying yeah first of all he testified which was interesting uh um, i saw a juror but, say by the way that he didn't think he should have <laughs> no and and i think when you have a circumstantial evidence case uh you know sometimes you don't want to testify because you you can the prosecutor's got to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt if you don't testify then and it's all circumstantial at least there's some wiggle room there to argue mm-hmm. they didn't prove their case no matter what whether you think you did it or not, you got to hold the prosecutor to the standard of proof so the government can't just, you know, incarcerate people and remove their liberty if they can't prove every element of the crime beyond a reasonable doubt. You know, it's the defendant's choice ultimately whether to testify or not. If they want to testify or they don't want to testify, as you've seen in 
cases, the right. judge addresses them personally, not just through the lawyer, to make sure it's their decision. Right. So who knows? You know, Murdoch being a lawyer, maybe he thought he can go up there and convince those jurors that he was right because he's one of those people. It appears that it had gotten his way a lot over the years. You know, just in the family had sure, this they long had history of long history in a rural county yeah. where they had had some major political cloud and control and 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 so you could see how that would feed into him thinking he could get up there and convince the jury right. but the problem was they'd already caught him lying and he basically came and and said he'd been lying to the police but he wanted to convince everybody now he was telling the truth at trial this is the truth and i lied about a lot of stuff almost everything but i'm not lying about the fact i didn't kill my wife and son so and i just I, thought that's not going to go over with jurors very well because why would they give you why would you have any credibility? And now they're going to think you're lying to them, probably, because you just can't lie about everything. And then, except for the one key thing, you want them to believe that you're telling the truth. And that's the way I saw it from a global level. It's like, mm-hmm. well, wait a minute. So he thinks everybody's – he lied to the police all the way up almost to trial. Uh, he's lied about other things. He's lied about cheating clients. He's lied about you know committing fraud over and over and over again. But believe me about this one critical issue. And, uh, of course, he's going to go to prison for the rest of his life anyway, I believe, because he's just got a slew of, you know, financial white-collar-type crimes, you know, pending against him. And hired his own hitman to kill kill him. Yeah, just bizarre. I mean, there's been a—I haven't watched the Netflix documentary series. Maybe once everything comes out now at the trial's over, I think they'll have a better one, more thorough. But it's just uh, sad. I mean, and and the judge was really good. And I think yeah, the, the judge, judge had lost his son before yeah. the trial started, who was only like 40 years old. But, you know, I think his statement when he he sentenced him to life without chance of parole. And, uh, you know, well, maybe this – and Murdoch kept maintaining his innocence. And the judge said, well, maybe it wasn't you that did this. Maybe it was a person who was ingesting 50, 60 opioid pills a day. But uh, so, you know, and that was kind of a good way to put it. Maybe you become a different person – when you become an addict because he was an he was addicted right. to pain pills right. i guess he was i mean that's what they say and maybe he's using as in a crutch and he really wasn't but obviously something i mean there's all there's there's twists and turns to that it would we could talk about that on an entire show here because it's you know like his son was what driving a boat and killed somebody yes. and the housekeeper fell in the house and they yes. they all everybody on all sides of that claim got in cahoots to get an insurance claim but then it never got back to the family of the woman who was hurt and it's just there's all kinds of just twists and turns in that story it's 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 bizarre yeah and i saw where the judge is being praised for how he handled the trial yeah i thought he handled it well and um from what i saw and and, uh, even keel judge yeah 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 he wasn't you see some of these and not to impugn anybody in the judiciary but some of these that get a lot of publicity you know, you think back even like the OJ trial, sometimes you watch it and think, well, this judge seems to be acting a little different because they're on you know national news. And, and this judge, you didn't get that feeling at all. Yeah. And he was even keel and you felt like he treated it like he would treat any other case. And so I think it was a fair trial, so I don't think there'll be much on appeal. Um, but he's going, he's got the other pending charges anyway. So he's not, he'll be, he, he's got a slew of them. Yeah. So he'll be going even if he got this reversed somehow, I don't think he's going to see the light of day. And it just gives you an idea, too, and in some place, like in West Virginia, a lot of times, I mean, there's time between the sentencing, the conviction and the sentencing. Yeah, he, he, this one there, wasn't. he just sentenced him. Yeah, I think sometimes 
If there's no choice, I mean, there's no discretion, they just move forward with sentencing. And, and uh, some of that is, has to do with the defendant, too, because the defendant in West Virginia generally has a right to a pre-sentence report compiled by the probation officer. And so you have to have time in between the conviction or the plea deal and the sentencing date to get all that done. Mm-hmm. Generally, uh, unless the judge insists on it, a defendant can waive that. I've had multiple occasions where my clients just want to be sentenced. They know if they do that, they're going to go to prison, but they're already in there for something else. And they want to get, you know, they want to get moving from the regional jails that are extremely overcrowded and uh, into the prison system where it's a little bit better and you can start working off your good time. So just wave it and go on. But this one, I presume, was immediate because one, they could get the family members or witnesses there that might want to talk quickly. And two, uh, I presume there was really no option on sentencing so right. there's no reason to be working up a whole lot of right. information right. to figure out what the judge needs to do well he's talked a lot about a lot of things today had a couple couple good calls so peyton law firm in nitro yeah you can yeah. give us a call there um 304-755-5556 in fact if jennifer when she calls in early i couldn't really hear her very well but if she wants to call the office or pop an email i'll there and it goes right to it doesn't go to some canned service it goes right to my computer and dads as well. And so we like to get email responses out the same day if we can. If not, just remind us and we'll get something out to you the next day. And we don't charge for initial consultations for any type of case. And then mostly what we do, you know, we like to help people if we can. So we do a lot of different general matters like transfer on death deeds, estate planning. But really our bread and butter is civil litigation. Folks that have been hurt or are having trouble fighting an insurance company, an automobile accident claim. And so if you have those type cases, uh, you, know, you don't know when you're going to have one. It's not like a deed or a will that almost everybody's going to need at some point. You don't know when you or a family member is going to be hurt. And if you have that situation, we just ask you to consider our office, and, and we give it particular attention. You're not going to be one of thousands of cases that we have. You're going to be one of uh, many, but we keep our caseload small enough. And, you know, we do like some family law. Well, I don't like to do any more than about three at a time because I need, I need to keep concentrating on the other matters as well so you can get bogged down with those so give us a call if you have an issue any legal issue if we can't help you we'll uh refer you to someone else and don't hesitate to contact us all right and that's 304-755-5556 304-755-5556 or 